Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels. In today's talk, we're going to be starting part two, episode one of our mortgage discussion. Talking with us today is mortgage expert David Steinberg of Summit Funding, and he's been with them for about 31 years. And we're going to be talking about the current mortgage landscape and what to expect when you are applying for a mortgage. David's also going to help demystify some of the common concepts around them. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont with Dumont Wealth, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years. And uh, joining us with our, our guest today is uh, David Steinberg. Hi, Kevin. So my company, Summit Funding, was started about 31 years ago with a simple premise. How can we make it as easy as humanly possible for someone to get a mortgage? Sure. So, for example, um, when you call a large bank, you're an anonymous figure. With us, you're a client and you're, you're working with people who know you and care about you and care to get you the best results. And um, along that path, we also have several other concepts. So, for example... Normally, when you apply for a mortgage, you pay all your fees up front. Right. Well, when you work with Summit Funding, what we do is we do not charge up front fees. Oh, that's nice. We, if for example, there's an appraisal fee, we'll shake up front as to what it's going to cost you. Mm-hmm. And then when the deal is all done, when you're ready to close, you'll reimburse us for, for the money we've laid out on your behalf. Okay. We work very hard to make it easy to get a mortgage. Well, that's, um, <laughs> that's nice in today's world. <laughs> Most organizations seem to be much more, uh, much less hands-on. They're much more uh, cold about things, right? To lack, for lack of a better term, you know, everything seems to be institutionalized now. And so. like you, we're working with people who we care about, right? So when it's about the customer and not about the transaction, when it's about the best outcome and not about the best uh, profit, right. we have a different way approach oh, to dealing with people. Completely, completely. It's it's. It's like calling a number and getting a person on the other end. That's <laughs> a good thing. Oh, yeah. We, we, talking about that, you never get voicemail during business hours. Yeah, fantastic. We actually have real human beings answering the phone. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> In a world where Siri answers everything. Um, so, um, not that Siri is a bad thing. I, it is It is a good thing. Uh, Siri, Alexa, or whatever you use, right? But, uh, you know, personal touch. So, David, we love what you're doing with your business there. Can you talk a little bit more, you know, using your expertise about, you know, what's what's going on right now in the mortgage world? Mortgage world has stabilized. Think back; it's now ten, twelve years since the the more the debacle of two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and the market is recovering. It may never get back to where we were in terms of some of the convenience factors. Sure. So, yeah. a lot of people blame. Um, no income verification mortgages for the debacle. I really don't. Right. If you take a very responsible individual who has was buying the house, let's say for a million dollars, and they're right. putting down three hundred thousand dollars, and they have perfect credit, and they have money in the bank, and they have a job, that's all you really need to know. Right. But it was abused. Right. And so um, what's happened is they've thrown the baby out with the bathroom. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they took it to another extreme. They took it to the other extreme. Nevertheless, 10 years ago, when you did a mortgage, you were very tightly constrained. 
And year after year, what we've seen is common sense things returning to the marketplace. Sometimes it's about um, taking one year of tax returns instead of two years of tax returns. And sometimes it's about stretch products for people who really have specific situations and therefore the market needs to accommodate them. So let's say someone who's self-employed may have very good income, but it's hard to prove on the books. Right, right. Someone like that, there are products available today that weren't available 24, 48 months ago. Right. So what kind of products are we talking about? Well, not to get too much in the products, but just to kind of give our listeners a little idea of what they can expect. So let's take it um, for most people, the... Most people think when they think of a mortgage, they think of a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Right. And for a lot of people, that's a great option. Right. It's self-amortizing. The payment is the same for all 360 months. And that may be the perfect solution for some people. Right. For many people, it's not. Right. And so part of the art of having this conversation Mm. is understanding what the buyer's needs are, what the borrower's needs are. Mm -hmm. And then looking to meet those needs. So, for example, if you were buying a home, sure, and you were going to, t- and we had a conversation, you said, "Well, how long are you going to be in the house?" Okay, um, let's say ten years. Ten years. Well, if you're going to be in the house ten years, then we need to be conservative, mm-hmm. right? We need to to get a mortgage that will last you. And since you're guessing ten years. Is 15 years possible? It's possible. Possible. So we need to look at that range of time frame. How risk averse are you? We look at that. Right. So some people race cars. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> some people race cars. Some people jump out of airplanes. Yeah. And yeah. some people were a, a life preserver to the bathtub. So if you have someone who is very much a risk taker, an adjustable rate mortgage may or may not work for them. Right, right. Someone who is um, much more buttoned up, you're going to go with a fixed rate mortgage. Right. We look at time frame. We look at age. We look at cash flow. So if you know someone who has a life event coming out, when you're meeting somebody who's in their late 50s, for example, and in 10 years they'll probably be retired, and that'll change how they what cash flows they have that'll all go into the equation and we'll figure that out okay now let me just take one other thing let me ask that question again Mm. now you're going to tell me you're going to be in the house five years okay how long are you going to be in the house five years five years i love it i love (laughs) it well you know a 30-year fix may be overkill on for someone who's going to be in the house five years right right maybe a seven-year adjustable would be a great a great median Mm-hmm. Now, the rate would still be fixed for that five or seven or ten years, mm-hmm. but you're going to pay a lower rate than the 30-year fixed. Right. So so by engineering the solution to meet the need, we do a better job for the client. Good point. So when the client does come to you, you kind of help them figure out what's going to work for them. Obviously, the next step is apply. So what, what, what can they expect for that? Okay. Generally speaking, when someone goes out and starts thinking about buying a home, they're in the process. Very early in the process, I would say often even before they start talking to a realtor, Mm -hmm. 
they ought to meet with their mortgage guy, me. Right. And they ought to start to understand what their financial capacity is. Now, generally speaking, in today's market, may change a year from now, but in today's market, the sellers are still in a dominant position in many, many markets. Obviously, there are markets that are that are in much more trouble, but generally today, sellers are in control of the market. What that means is that a buyer walking in to make an offer has to be pre-approved for their mortgage. Okay. And um, so early on, whether it before they meet the realtor or, or just after they meet the realtor, they have to meet with a mortgage professional. And it's important to understand what the bank is looking for when they evaluate a loan application. Right, right. So I, I tell my clients to think about it as a, a two-by-two grid. And so there are four boxes, and the boxes are income, assets, credit, and property. Right. Now, on the income side, we want to know, can you afford the property you're looking to buy? Right. Primarily, for most people, that means what sources of income that you have that are reliable. Mm-hmm. So your job, um, your uh, business, your investments. Right. If you have a stream of predictable income, we evaluate that income to determine what you're qualifying in is. Right. Okay. So that's step number one. We'll come back to it when we get, get deeper. Right. Step number two is assets. You have the resources necessary to make the down payment. So we were talking before about a million-dollar home. Right. If you have buying a million-dollar home and you're putting down 30%, 25%, whatever that number is, you need a certain amount of down payment. Right? So it may be $300,000. Then you need the money for the closing costs. Well, depending on the market, that could be $15,000, $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 even, depending on the marketplace. And so you need to be able to show that you have, in that case, $325,000, $340,000. Finally, the bank's going to want to know, do you have the reserves to carry you if there's a blip? Right. So... Which unfortunately happens to people. <laughs> right. So, so therefore, you need 350000 360000 400000 depending on the loan program, depending on the specifics. But you, for your own good, you want to make sure that you have that reserve. And so we're going to look at that. Yeah. So now we've begun income and assets. The next is credit. Credit is, do you have a predisposition to pay your bills? Right. Now, it sounds silly, but there are people out there with... 800 credit, and they pay their bill meticulously. Mm -hmm. And then there are people out there with 600 credit scores. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they're spotty in paying their credit. Mm -hmm. And that will, again, affect your impact, will impact your ability to get a mortgage and what kind of mortgage, et cetera. Right, so why not, yeah. The, The second component of credit goes back to the capacity question. So if you have, um, Two car loans and a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt and two hundred thousand dollars of student loans. Well, gee, that may be ten thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars a month of monthly carry just to pay that. Right. So now we go back to the capacity, right? We talked about income. 
We said you have sufficient income to buy the house, but it's not only carrying the house, but it's carrying the house and all that other debt. Right, of course. And finally, property. And property go, runs to two questions. One is, is the house that you're looking to purchase, now that at a pre-qual standpoint or pre-approval standpoint, we don't have that property. But nevertheless, in order to understand what the bank will ultimately look at, for property, if you're paying a million dollars, is a house worth a million? Is it worth a million one or is it worth 900? Right, right. right, right. So you may have fabulous credit, but no bank is going to want to lend you $700,000, say, if the if the property is only worth eight hundred, right. or they'll want to take a risk adjustment on that. Right. So, so property. It, one part of property is, does the property support the mortgage? The other part of property, just so you think ahead, is what's the property condition? And there, you may have a magnificent property, but it has asbestos, it has mold, it has other issues. Right. So. The bank is not really going to look at an engineering report, but nevertheless, if there's something obvious, that will become an issue in terms of purchasing a property. Uh huh. Interesting point. I don't think everyone uh, realizes that when they're when they're applying, they think it's more a matter of income and assets, right? They don't think right. they don't think that they're looking at the home and there's something maybe the main support beam is broken or, or right you know, crack or, foundation. You know, we yeah. get it all the time. Right. There's a crack in the foundation. And now you need an engineer to tell the bank, well, tell you as the buyer, because you're a potential owner, you want, you don't want to buy a right. lemon. But right. also tell the bank that the, there isn't a problem that, that would cause the instability of the property and therefore diminish the value of the, of the property. Right, right. Of course, something like that breaks after you bought the house. That $900,000 house is now worth what? Seven. You took a loan for eight. You're underwater. You're underwater. And, and, you know, now, this is a great point. We talked about some of the kinds of products. We talked about fixed and adjustable before. But sometimes, really more in the lower price range, in the five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand, maybe three hundred thousand sometimes, mm. some of our buyers come to us. I had a guy buy a house last summer. And right. he bought a house for about four hundred thousand. And he needed a hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of work. Right. And so what we did was we put them into a renovation loan. So so what that loan allowed them to do was we had the appraisal look, the appraisal based on the ultimate value of the house after all repairs. Right. After all repairs. Right. So you're buying a house for 400,000, say, but after you put 100,000 in or 200,000. That house may be worth four hundred thousand again, right? But it could be worth seven hundred thousand, right? Right? Because yeah. if you have a house that's in not great condition, maybe it doesn't have, maybe there's some um, aesthetic issues, maybe there's some functional issues, right? Right. But when you've done the work, and in this case, by putting in about one hundred and fifty thousand, I think you paid four fifty. By putting in about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, that house was going to be worth seven hundred thousand. Right, yeah. so he had a great eye. He found a great property, and what? And then what we did? We put him into a renovation loan, and that loan lent him, let's say, ninety percent of the acquisition. Yeah. So, three hundred sixty thousand dollars for the acquisition, plus ninety percent of the balance. Right. Yeah. So, 
I think the numbers were 400 and 150, something like that. So if their total was 550, he borrowed about 490. He borrowed about 490. And he had all of that money available, and he did the renovation coming out of that. Now he has a house that's basically brand new to his yeah. own specification. Wow. That's a pretty good way of doing it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think everyone who really wants to get into that. So a lot of people like to just move it ready. But, right. But, you know, that's part of your personal touch there that you get to you know, you can help people with, right? Right. So are there any other, um, you know, people have a lot of common concepts of what they think about. Is there anything else you can think of that... Uh, you know, you could um, help our, our listeners with uh, something that's a common concept that maybe it's just not quite like that, so we could demystify. So let's talk about two or three things. I bet some of our listeners are parents who have younger, let's say, younger adult children. Many people don't know that they can co-sign for their kid's mortgage. And so now you get somebody who's, let's say, in their... Let's say they're in their 50s or 60s, they're still working, they still have a good income, and their kid may be uh, starting out, they're making $75,000 a year, they can right. afford barely the property. Right. And we can do a loan so that, let's say, the child finds a $400,000 property, they just misqualify. Right. They need $100,000 to qualify, and they only have income of 80000 Right. By having the parent co-sign for their child, they can get into that home and then get in early and then stop renting and, and get the appreciation. So that's one, one thing that we see quite often. Well, Another so. thing is, you know, you and, you and I have had this conversation before, and the question is often, what's the optimal loan amount? Now, there are a lot of people who have, let's call it three misconceptions. One misconception is that they should put down as big a down payment as they can afford. Right. Of course, yeah. That's right. That's definitely something we talk about. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you get some people and they say, well, you know, I have, I'm going to buy a property for a million dollars. I've got $500,000 in the bank. I'm going to put $500,000 down. Right. And... That is a questionable strategy. It may be right for some people, but from an economic standpoint, that may be emotionally right for some people, but from an economic standpoint, I believe that a smaller down payment is wiser. Right. Another thing that people don't understand is that mortgages are available up to, uh, well, in New York, New Jersey, parts of Florida, and Connecticut, um, many other markets, you can get a mortgage up to about $679,000. That's a magic number. It's a conforming limit, high balance conforming limit. Yes. Yes. So, and you can do that with 3 4 5% down. Oh, wow. So maybe you have someone who went to graduate school went to law school, went to medical school, and now they're out with a great job. Right. They have a job, they have great income, but they don't have a lot of assets. Right. And they can buy a home. So let's say they find a home for $700,000, 
and they put down 5%, well, that's $35,000. He can get a $665,000 mortgage. And yet they're going to pay higher rate. Yes, they're going to pay mortgage insurance. But, you know, that gets them in the door early. Yep. And that's an advantage that people don't right. understand. I saw a statistic yesterday that something like 75% of millennials believe that you need to put down 20% to get a mortgage. Right, right. Where in truth, it could be 3 4 5%. Right, because 10 years ago, you had to put at least 20% down to even begin to qualify. So now that's kind of what people think is still going on, right? Well, 10 years ago, you could have done 3 4 5%. Right. It's a misconception. It's, it's one of those urban myths. Right. And once, you know, you know, I think it's de depression mentality, depression age mentality. So a lot of us learned finance from our parents and grandparents who lived through the depression. True. Yeah. And they believed that you had to have 20% down. And that's what they taught us. Right. And that myth has not changed, uh, has not followed the reality of what, what's happening in the mortgage market. That's interesting to see where that actually comes from. Boy. So it's not so much of, uh, oh, hey, 10 years ago, because the mortgage marketplace tightened its belt, you had to put 20% down. It's more of that was something that was commonly thought of from, from the Depression era, right? I'm in this business 30 years ago. 30 years ago, it was harder to get a mortgage on a $400,000 property without putting down 20%. Hmm. But for the last 15 years, 20 years, that's just been Not standard practice. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I just want to touch a little bit too. You mentioned that sometimes economically speaking, it's not in the best interest of people to put the most they can put down towards the home. Why do you believe that is so? Great question. So I use the following story. A guy wins the lotto. Right. He wins and, 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 and so he wins a million dollars. Okay. Yeah. And they offer, they offer him two possibilities. One possibility is that they're going to give it to him in market securities. Okay. A million dollars, you get in market securities, do whatever you want with it. The other possibility is they're going to drive up to your house with a backhoe. They're going to dig a pit 20 feet deep in your backyard. They're going to put the money in a safe, the safe in the pit, cover the pit with, with, with sand, and you can't touch that till you walk away from the property. Now, there aren't a lot of people who would take this, the latter alternative, right. right? There aren't a lot of people who would bury the money in the ground. Right. But nevertheless, many of those same people would pay their mortgage down or prepay their mortgage, not realizing that functionally what they're doing is they're digging their money in a hole in the ground. Ah, good point. When you have the cash in your hand, you have liquidity. You have all, you have the choice. Yeah. I call it money is king. Right, cash right, is right. king. So when the cash is in your hand, you have choices. You can make decisions. Yeah. When it is in buried in the equity in your house, you may have a smaller mortgage. There may be some satisfaction elements around that. Right. But for most of the clients that you and I talk to, I believe it's a mistake. Right. Yeah. Good, good analogy. That kind of goes back to what we talk about a lot too in Wealth Tactic Rebels is it's not always about 
smaller payments or even about which one is going to give you the best rate of return. It's which one is going to allow you to have liquidity so you can access that money to use it whenever you want, and you're going to have control over that. And liquidity use and control is what you're saying. So that's that's kind of what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the tax law has an impact. You know, sure. up to a year ago, if let's say you had a $600,000 house, say, mm-hmm. and you had a $400,000 mortgage, you could still take another $100,000 out on an equity line, and that would be deductible. Mm-hmm. And you could do that, use that money for anything. Right. Well, that's no longer true. So, for example, let's say you bought a house. We're talking about a million-dollar house. Let's talk about that million-dollar house. You have that million-dollar house. You you borrow $750,000, which is the maximum you can deduct today on a home. And let's say you have a liquidity event. Somebody gives you $100,000. You inherit $100,000. And you have two choices. Should I have that $100,000 or should I put it into the mortgage? Maybe I should pay off the mortgage. Right. Pay $100,000 off the mortgage. A lot of people emotionally respond and they want to pay off the mortgage. Yeah, sure. But from a from an economic standpoint, right. that is putting the money in a hole in the ground. Right. Exactly. So As we a, talk about the, yeah. the bearing in the safe in the back. Yeah. yeah. And now imagine two years from now, that guy put the $100,000 into the, into the mortgage. Now there's a liquidity event. He needs to borrow the $100,000 back. Well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, that's $100,000 will no longer be deductible. Right. So he lost the deductibility. And then number two, depending on the nature of the event, he may not be able to borrow. Right. The the market may be less liquid. The mm. banks may be tighter on lending. Yeah. And you may not have access to that $100,000 when you need it. Right. So I believe that, for, generally speaking, you know, the law of large numbers. Generally speaking, that person's better off to have the cash in your hand. Great advice there. I agree with that. Before we uh, end for today's episode, is there any other advice you want to give to the listeners or anything you want to say to them? Not all lenders are the same. So Summit Funding were licensed in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Florida. We are mortgage brokers. Right. And for the last 10 years, mortgage brokers have been caught in aspersions by some of the banks. But the key thing to understand is that we have tremendous capacity because we work for you, not for the bank. Right. Right. We work for you. So imagine if uh, one bank is do, is offering a better deal than another bank. You don't think the first banker is going to tell you, oh, you want to go to that other bank. If there's an issue, we have the ability to retreat, rethink, and and come up with another approach that many banks don't. We have a very broad approach. So whether I'm hoping that many of your people, if they're looking to buy a home, will give me a call. But regardless, find someone who's a mortgage professional that you trust. That's, that's really invaluable. That is. That's true. Finding someone you can trust to help you that's an expert. It's on your side. They're advocating for you. That's probably one of the best advice you can give, really. I like that. Let me just tell you one story because you'll get a kick out of this. Sure. Many years ago, one of my clients worked for a major money center bank, and he tried getting his kid a mortgage with that bank, and Uh they rejected the mortgage. So for fun, 
I put the same mortgage into the same bank and got it approved. <laughs> sometimes it's knowing the, the levers, knowing how to operate. Right, right. And then sometimes there's a special purpose. Right. Sometimes someone has a challenge, credit challenge, an income challenge. People like myself, mortgage professionals, have an array of tools that they can deploy to, to get you the mortgage that best fits your needs. Wow. Excellent. David, uh, I think your information given today is invaluable and help our, our listeners tremendously when, I don't know if they're going to be applying now for mortgage, maybe they need one to five years, 10 years, 15 years, whenever it is, information they pass on to their kids. This is all wonderful. I really, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge today. So, you know, we're going to have another discussion too coming up, part two, or episode two of part two on the mortgage discussion. So thank you, David. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you for inviting me in. Absolutely. Love having you. And uh, Wealth Tactic Rebels, on the show notes page, we're going to put David's contact information and business information for you if you want to go view that. Also, while you're there, you can go to the WealthTacticRebels.com website and download your free guide to the three key areas that you could be losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. Thank you again for joining us today for our discussion and have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.